Good evening. It is good to be gathered together with you tonight. It is good to be gathered as a local church. Uh, it is even better that all the little ones are here with us this evening. It'll be a little louder, a little more squirmy. Um, but we are blessed to gather as a local embassy of Christ's kingdom in this world. Our text for this evening is found in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, chapter 3. So please open your Bibles to join me there. If you're using one of the Bibles found beneath the seat in front of you, uh, you will find the passage on page 787. And I would ask that all who are able to stand to please do so for the reading of God's word. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. This is God's holy and errant word for his people. May it be received as such. And you may be seated as we join together in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We are a weak and a needy people, Lord. And as we approach a season steeped in excess and abundance, help us to turn our attention away from things that will not last. Our greatest need is to know you. Bless us as we gather to search the scriptures for more of you tonight. With confidence, because of grace, we ask this in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. Uh, two weeks ago, I was having a discussion with Matt Jantz. He asked me what passage I planned on preaching for the service this evening, and I told him that I was considering this passage from Habakkuk chapter 3. As I did so, I mentioned some of the background context from the book that led to the words that Habakkuk prays in these final verses. His response to that was, well, you know, it sounds like you're going to have to preach an entire sermon on the book of Habakkuk. And after I initially wanted to object to that, I also recognized that Habakkuk is a relatively short book among the Old Testament prophets, and I was led to admit that he was right. Breaks my heart to say it. So, by no means will we be reading the entire book of Habakkuk this evening, but as you can imagine, these verses that we just read as part of our sermon text don't just spring out of nowhere. They don't exist in a vacuum. There was something profound in the life of Habakkuk that led him to conclude his writing with the prayer that we have just read. And as we consider it tonight, I believe that we will be blessed in a couple of ways. One, it is good for us to understand the scope of God's word, all of it, particularly when it comes to an underappreciated portion of the scriptures like the book of Habakkuk. And two, as we consider the entire scope of the Word of God, we sit under his revelation of himself. And as we begin to know God as he truly is, our prayer is that we might be a people changed by the Spirit of God to the point of saying something like Habakkuk has just said in the final verses of this chapter. If the field yields no food, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So that's my hope 
for this evening. And as I refer to what's happening throughout the book, I, I really do invite you to put eyes on the pages. Uh, there shouldn't be too much page flipping, and it, I think it's going to be good for us to grasp the flow of Habakkuk's writing. When it comes to the man himself, Habakkuk was a prophet who ministered in Judah shortly before Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians in 586 B.C. And in chapter 1, he is lamenting the conditions that led to that event. The first verses show Habakkuk crying out to God because God's people have abandoned obedience to the law and their lives are marked by violence and iniquity. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence and you will not save? Habakkuk is crying out to God, saying, Lord, how can you sit idly by as your own people plunge themselves into ruin? And in verse 5, we get God's answer. He tells Habakkuk that he's not sitting idly by, and in fact, he has a plan in place to do something about the sin and the violence that Habakkuk is crying out about. Verse 6, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. God's plan is to raise up the Chaldeans, also known as the Babylonians, and they will be the instrument of judgment in his hand by which that judgment comes to Judah. And this is a very tough pill for Habakkuk to swallow. Habakkuk has a response to God that we see starting in verse 12, but if we were to put it in modern-day language, it might sound something like, you, you can't be serious, God. The Chaldeans? They're more wicked than we are. There's no way that you are going to use them to be an instrument of judgment upon us. They are the ones who deserve your heavy hand of judgment. Verse 13, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? God has an answer for this. That happens in chapter 2, verse 2. He tells Habakkuk, in more, more or less, yeah, I didn't stutter. It is going to happen, and in fact, you can write it down to refer back to it, so that if it ever feels like it's taking too long to develop or that I might be delayed, you can look at it. It's coming. It's going to happen. But I will give you this, Habakkuk. You are absolutely right in your assessment of the Chaldeans. Verse 4, Behold, his soul. Babylon is like a man whose soul is puffed up within him. He is arrogant. There is nothing upright. Verse 5, he is greedy, he is as insatiable as death, and he gathers for himself nations and peoples and wealth and power and anything he can get his hands on. Yes, Babylon is wicked, but that's not the point. The point is found in the half sentence that I skipped over in verse 4. What God is teaching Habakkuk is that even in the midst of gut-wrenching, soul-souring circumstances, there, are, there is a posture that transcends all of it, and its name is faith. Though arrogant Babylon is hungry for blood, the righteous shall live by his faith. Faith in whom? Faith in God. Faith in the God who just raised up the Chaldeans? Yes. Allow me, at this moment, to fan the flame of our appreciation for the Scriptures. Two years ago, Pastor Luke preached a series celebrating God's faithfulness in preserving the gospel, the only one that there ever was, the only one there ever will be, the gospel of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. 
It's the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And one of the beauties he directed us towards was Romans chapter 1, verse 17, a verse that the Spirit of God used to strip away all of the obstacles set up in Martin Luther's mind for how man is made right with God. The verse reads, For in it, it being the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The writing that Paul refers to is Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And that's significant for us this evening because in Habakkuk's day, it was his faith that reached through the haze of dark and dire circumstances and rested on the bedrock of who God is. But not much has changed for God's people today either. Isn't that how you were saved? Isn't that the story of how I was saved about the story of how anyone is saved? When the people of God preach the gospel of God, it is the Spirit of God who does the work of God in bringing the hearts of dead sinners to God. The call of the gospel is a call to faith in who God is, and God is revealed to us most gloriously in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the second person of the eternal Godhead, the Son made flesh who walked among us. Though he lived a sinless life, he was condemned to death on a cross, and in his dying, he drank the cup of wrath reserved for his people, making full atonement for their sins, but death had no claim upon him. He was raised to life so that all today who repent of their sin and place their faith in who he is as the sinless sacrifice of their salvation are counted righteous before God. They are given Christ's righteousness as a gift. So as people on this side of the cross who are indebted to the Spirit of God for the writing of Paul to the Romans, we can even say, thanks be to God for Habakkuk. as if there was any question as to whether or not God condones the unrighteousness of the Babylonians, getting back to the text. He announces woe upon them, and not just a little woe. The remainder of chapter 2 lists five woes pronounced upon the Babylonians on account of their wickedness. Verse 8, Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. Verse 16, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. And perhaps most, most scathingly as an indictment of the idolatry they so freely gave themselves to. 19, woe to him who says to a wooden thing awake, to a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. God says to Babylon, you people who look to build kingdoms and gather power through violence and oppression, woe to you and the gods you have fashioned with your own hands who you foolishly try to speak to as if they could respond and teach you anything, but they cannot for they lack the breath of life. But, contrast, difference, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Gone will be the days when your gods keep silent before you because coming is a day when you will be silent before the one true God. Yahweh lives. His presence resides in his holy temple. He is the one matchless in glory before whom not any on earth would dare raise their voice. 
the one before whom even the most righteous men, if they dared to utter anything at all, would fearfully muster, woe is me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. Can, can we agree that this is heavy? This is a weighty revelation of who God is, a revelation that he is the uncontested sovereign over the affairs of men. He rightfully judges Judah for her covenant faithlessness. He rightfully judges Babylon for their godless violence. So how does Habakkuk respond to the weight of this revelation? Chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, set as a psalm according to music. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. I see what you are about to do, Lord, now. I know what you are up to, and I stand in awe of it. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. I accept that you are about to do a spectacular work, Lord. As it unfolds in the course of history, I ask you this, remember to be merciful to your people. And I'm not just saying it, Lord, I'm singing it. I will sing to you of your mercy and I will sing in light of your sovereignty because in case there are any here who are unfamiliar with the history, the exercise of your sovereignty is always for the salvation of your people. That's what... Habakkuk recounts in verses 3, 4, 5, 6, all the way up to 15. Verse 12 is particularly poignant for us. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Having covered that as a matter of introduction, we now come to our sermon text. As we read it once more, we would do well to consider what has happened that brought Habakkuk from a place of questioning God's methods to the point of writing these words, knowing that the Chaldeans are coming to topple everything he has ever identified with. Childhood home, gone. Walls of Jerusalem, rubble. The temple itself in ruins. And, and keep this in mind, at this point, we're still singing. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength he makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. An appropriate question at this point might be, what does any of this have to do with Thanksgiving? When uh, Pastor Luke graciously asked me to, to preach the word for you all this evening, the first thing I knew is what I did not want to do. I did not want to stand in front of you and, and preach some moralistic math lesson where I ask you to consider how blessed you are on one hand, how grateful you are on the other, and then do the mental exercise of making sure those scales are balanced. Making that adjustment is something that you can do entirely apart from the living, active Word of God. 
You can watch a well-produced video segment as part of tomorrow morning's parade coverage, and it can convince you that you need to be more thankful. But even the world's most well-produced video package cannot grasp the human heart and endow it with delight in its creator to the point that it praises God through famine. Brothers and sisters, we do not need tonight, we do not need any time we gather for someone to stand up here and preach a word of to do, to do, to do, and all will be well. To do, and your Thursday will be great. To do, and your Monday will be awesome. Your week, your month, your year will be roses. That would be disingenuous to what the core of the scriptures are for. This book is not given to us as a revelation of to do. It's given to us as a revelation of I am. What we need tonight and what we need every time we gather is revelation from God about God so that the delights of our heart might be righteously reoriented to God. Even when it's difficult, yes, even when it's unspeakably difficult, yes, because the uncontested sovereign of it all always acts for the salvation of his people. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the field yield no food, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you are a God who makes plans and never fails to accomplish them. The salvation of your people was planned from the foundation of the world, and you accomplished it perfectly in Christ. We are covered by the blood of his atonement, and our sins are forgiven. Having feasted our eyes on your sovereign perfection this evening, may your spirit sustain a faith within us that delights in the fullness of who you are. We, we love you, Lord. We know that it's because you first loved us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Habakkuk. We thank you for the revelation of who you are. And we humbly ask that it guide our way as we seek to enjoy all that you may so graciously bless us with, along with our families, tomorrow. And we pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.